Whenever a group of product people get together, we seem to use the opportunity to blow off steam about how hard a job it is. Lily, is that what happens at your product tanks? Yes, that is so true. I absolutely love hanging out with my fellow product people. And I always feel so great afterwards, like I'm just with people who get me and like really understand. But you know, if you're having a really hard time, you might not have it in you to make it out to an event like Product Tank. And not actually seeing many people during the last couple of years has really taken its toll on a lot of us. So in our episode today, we chat with Nick Gemetta, product leader and consultant about mental health and what that really means. And you know, at this time of year, when it gets dark out so early in the Northern Hemisphere, it's really important to look after yourself and those around you. And this was a really great chat about how you can do exactly that. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Nick, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. It's great to be here, Andy and Lily. It's a real pleasure. For anyone who hasn't already had the pleasure of working with you, just give us a little bit of history. What are you doing these days and how did you get into product in the first place? So yeah, I'm, I'm Nick Gemetta, uh, otherwise known as Fancy Dress Dad, but we'll come on to that a little bit later on. Uh, I'm married to amazing children. I live in a, a small, but vibrant market town in the east of England. I've, I've been doing product for about 10 years now, building products across retail, grocery and telco. Like many other people, uh, stumbled into products a little bit, to be honest. I started in, in marketing, but I always knew I was a nerd and I had a real interest in technology. And my first foray into product was really when I got uh, pretty interested in conversional uh, optimization and experimentation. And I started to realize that, hey, if I twin this with a bit of user experience and some some technology, I can start building some pretty cool things. Uh, and it really has just evolved, evolved from there. And I've really grown grown to love it in those 10 years. So aside from from product management, you have a special interest in mental health and mental well-being. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you uh, how did this become such a topic of interest for you? Sure. Yeah. So I live and I thrive with anxiety and I have done for all of my life, really. But for a lot of my life, I hid that anxiety, especially in the workplace. I, I was brought up in a generation where you know, it was deemed wrong to bring too much of yourself to work and that you had to wear, you know, have two different um, aspects of your life, wear a mask. You know, one was the work, Nick, one was the personal Nick. Uh, But three years ago, I got an opportunity to open up a bit more about my mental health. And I realised that I could leave a a massive mark on, on the planet and leave a legacy by speaking up and by talking out about my mental health struggles and how you can actually thrive with poor mental health and that our mental health just does not define us. And I've been on a journey ever since. And as part of that journey, I've 
won awards for my mental health work. I've taken my award, my mental health work into my product teams and into the organizations that I work with. Um, and I've done quite a lot of campaigning uh, alongside that as well, uh, which has kind of led me here here today, really. So before we get into everything else, uh, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome and other things, and we all talk about having anxiety at, at times. But what does it mean for you? What is what does it mean uh, that you say you struggle with anxiety? Yeah, and I think I think there's there's an important distinction to make there. I think having a little bit of natural anxiety in products is normal. I think I think products can be a little bit of an anxiety inducing career path. Um, and you know, anxiety and stress can can be great motivators and can be keys to you know unlock potential and to unlock you know some in- incredible uh, energy and momentum in the in the product space. But for me, living with anxiety is, has been a struggle when anxiety has taken over my life, when anxious thoughts can very quickly turn into a catastrophe, when anxious thoughts can manifest themselves physically. So I, my anxiety manifests itself as panic attacks which renders me pretty ineffectual in my product work, if I'm honest. Um, my anxiety has signed me off work with severe stress. My anxiety has manifested itself in physical symptoms, so things like having um, symptoms of a heart attack, not being able to sleep for days on end. You know, to me, that's what trying to live and thrive with more severe anxiety feels like. So you know, really it's about where the anxiety becomes um, slightly more debilitating and it's something that you're living with day in day out rather than something that comes sort of in and out of your life uh, momentarily. And I think it's um, a very difficult topic because when you talk about anxiety, like some people just never experience those symptoms and they just think that you are just worrying about something and they don't quite understand what it means to have a panic attack or to really kind of feel anxiety in a much more sort of physical way. So, um, but I'm interested to know, like when you started to kind of open up about your experiences, what kind of reactions did you get from people? How was that received by the people that you were talking to? To begin with, a lot of people were shocked because I've learned over the years how to cope with my anxiety and to an extent how to hide it. So taking the mask off for me was a big leap into being pretty vulnerable. So a lot of people were very surprised, my parents included, given I hadn't told them about any of this for 20 years. Um, You know, work colleagues, once they moved past the shock, actually, then there was a lot of people calling me brave and inspiring. And these are words I'd never associated with, with this kind of part of myself, mainly because I didn't open up. For that reason, I opened up to try and help and to try and reduce some of that stigma. But then what I found when I, when I started opening up was that I would have other people opening up to me. And it really meant that I was able to use that experience to build empathy and to build relationships. And we all know that in the world of product, building relationships is the single most important part of our job. It's about communication. It's about building those um, human connections. And by sharing a little bit more of myself, I was able to move past uh, you know, self-imposed barriers that I've, I've put up in some of those uh, relationships because all of a sudden they knew me a bit better. I knew them a bit uh, a bit better. And it, it turns out that we all have mental health, you know. Mental health is health. If you've got physical mm-hmm. health, you've got mental health. We're all going to have good days. We're all going to have bad days. So I think 
when you talk about a topic like mental health, the reality is even if you don't have a direct experience of what someone's talking about, you know how it feels to have a bad day. Yeah. Is this one of those things that is affected by the workplace environment? Is it if you have a particularly crappy boss or something going on, is it is it rational like that or is it something that just kind of happens or there can be a thousand little things? I'm not 100% sure what I'm asking in this, but just trying to understand for, for someone who may not have experienced it the way you have, is this something with a definitive trigger or is it just something that comes up and happens? I love the question, Randy, because I think it's all of those and none of those, depending on your your own experience. You know, it can be triggered by obviously significant trauma, which for me, trauma was not a factor. You know, for me, I think a lot of it has been born out of societal pressures, and frankly, it's in my DNA. As much as you know, my mother may may not want to hear it. it you know. It, an element of this does come from her. When, and when I talk to her about it, there are things in her personality that are reflected in mine. And I've just taken it to a slightly different level than maybe she has. But you know, death by a thousand cuts is the other thing that is talked about. You know, a lot, a lot of little pressures, a lot of little things that are happening in daily life can be triggers. Um, unexpected life events, as I said, uh, can be triggers. Workplaces are, are a massive trigger. You, you've only got to look at the last 18 months to know the pandemic has been wonderfully kind to many people from a work point of view. It's enabled them to work differently. It's enabled them to forge new careers. It's enabled them to make a lot of money, frankly. But there are also many people in the, in the pandemic where the workplace has probably had a directly negative consequence on their mental health, whether that's been losing jobs, losing income, whether that's been, you know, from a product lens, having worked in you know, the grocery industry, um, for example, I know plenty of people's mental health that overnight went from good to bad because they, you know, or they were all of a sudden working 24 7, 365 days a year to try and respond to this, you know, growing giant unknown that, you know, had to be dealt with in a, in a kind of very rapid fashion. So, uh, would you say that product development is kind of a particularly challenging? career or area when it comes to maintaining good mental health I would yeah you know I think maintaining good mental health is difficult for anyone no matter what their profession and I see this in a lot of the speaking work I do outside of the, of the product domain but you know, putting on the hat I love the most the the product um, hat and using my own experience but also all the work I've done within the wider product communities that I talk to is staying well as a product manager is difficult and I think we are drivers of change and to drive that change, we're often managing tensions to deliver results and that can be stressful. You know, you, you hear a lot of things that a product manager is you know, like a CEO and whether or not I like that quote per se, I think it can feel quite lonely. Like those two roles, I think, have a lot of similarities in the sense they feel very lonely. As a product manager, I know that I felt lonely at times. Mm. You can feel like the weight of the product team is on your shoulders you're saying no pretty much all the time to pretty much everybody except the customer, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, you don't have a crystal ball yet. You're somehow expected to try and foresee the future. Mm. Um, you're trying to make hard and pretty impactful decisions, sometimes at pace, sometimes without uh, as much data as you might like. And I think the final point that makes product management difficult is that you know, I've certainly found as a product manager that I felt responsible not only for my well-being, but for the well-being of my team. 
Yeah, and that can mm. that can be a big responsibility, especially if that team is large, diverse, in different locations with different uh, cultures going on there. You know, that's a lot of responsibility for one person to take on, as well as all the other things that I've just mentioned. Before we talk about teams, let's talk about about ourselves first, because if you can't take care of yourself, then it's impossible to to take responsibility and contribute well to to the rest of the team. So. What are the kinds of signs that something might be going wrong? What are things that people should be watching out for? It's another great question. I was I was pondering this one, and um, you know, I think some of those signs are subtle, and some are less subtle. You know, some you're going to expect, some you might not. And I think that's the that's the tricky thing about this topic. There is no one size fits all. There's no one size fits all in the signs. There's no one size fits all in the potential solutions. But you know, some of the things I would look look out for. So some of the less subtle more obvious signs difficulty sleeping a loss of appetite a lack of motivation and you're feeling disengaged not being able to switch off um feeling hopeless or helpless and as i said earlier some of those kind of physical pains and uncomfortable sensations it's important to point out though that you know if you have a difficulty sleeping for a night it's probably not something to get overly worried about it's when these patterns start to repeat and when they become very difficult to break that's when you want to start you know questioning if there's something a bit deeper going on but you know there are there are more subtle things that might change that could contribute to you struggling with your mental health and you might not realize it so you know are you enjoying things less does work mean less to you are you struggling to enjoy time with your family do are you struggling for lack of energy for hobbies that you used to love are you being you know more irritable or less patient and that's a really tricky one to kind of figure out well, is this am I just having a bad day or am I having a series of bad days and you have very slight changes in your mood your behavior your reactions and it's it's those less subtle things I think that um, are the most difficult by definition t- to pick up which is why one of the things that I talk about is being really in tune every day with how we're feeling because the more we can understand how we're feeling the more we can start to pick up when those behaviors and those reactions start to change Mm. so if we do notice any of this in our own behavior or if we you know if we recognize that we're heading in the wrong direction what would you you know we talk a lot about uh ways in in which to improve our mental health but are there rules which you live by which are your go-to fixes for (laughs) um, (laughs) like picking yourself up a bit and uh and heading back in the right direction yeah that's a really great question Lily I think you know as I said earlier our our mental health is our own and therefore the way we manage our mental health is is unique to us all I talk about this concept of um you know a playbook or a toolbox and like any good product manager it's full of experimentation and iteration um and I've built that toolbox over time and it's only as I've got in tune with my own anxiety that I've worked out the things that really work for me and the things that don't. And you know, none of this should be taken as medical advice, obviously, but you know, some of the things that I think work for me are, as I say, being in tune with how I'm feeling. So one of the ways I do that is I journal and it's not for everyone, but it just allows me every day to just decompress a little bit and just figure out how the day's gone and then over time I can start to spot patterns and I can start to address early if I can see things heading in the wrong direction. Exercise for me is as close to a magic wand as I'm going to get. Um, you know, if I'm having a a good day or a bad day, to be honest, um, at lunchtime I try to do a workout because I always feel better regardless. 
you know, as soon as I've, I've finished that 30 minute hit session or whatever it is, you know, I feel better. I feel energized. I feel more motivated. I feel more ready to take on the rest of the day. And for most people, I think that's true. But it's really about figuring out, you know, what, what lights the fire for you? Is it music? Is it DJing? Is it um, Lego? You know, I'm sat here and I've got a 1300 piece Lego Millennium Falcon that I've, I've absolutely loved building. And one of the reasons I've loved building other than the fact I'm a complete Star Wars nerd is that, you know, that kind of physical act of piecing the Lego together and following those instructions means that I come out of my own head. I'm not thinking about all the worries of the day. All I'm thinking about is I've got to find Chewbacca's head and I've got to stick it on his body. And that is all that I care about <laughs> at, that, at that moment in time. So that's great. But uh, let's let's talk about the, the team around us as well. As you said, we often feel responsible for, for lots of other people. Uh, you know, there's some endemic things that we've got around we're often f- uh, focused on strategic and tactical things. We never celebrate wins often enough. We're looking to the future, all that. So how do we create a good environment for teams around us? And how do we recognize warning signs in, in others potentially? Yeah, so it's a great question, Randy. And I think you know, creating team cultures, product managers have a massive responsibility for this, but equally so does product leadership. So you know, for any product leaders listening, I think they play a massive role in you know shaping the culture that they want to see empower product teams evolving and maturing. And I think some of the ways we do that are by role modelling. So it probably will come as no surprise that the cultures that, that I foster are very open, they're very transparent. You know, I like to uh, get to know people personally where I can, although I don't want to ever overstep the mark on that one. But I think it it always helps to to understand people personally. So you can start to have a few more of those more open and honest conversations. You can ask how people are feeling. You can get you know a general view of it. You asked about how we spot signs for people. I think hybrid working's probably made that more difficult realistically because your screens can can mask a lot of what's going on. You know, there, I think it's about again, it's the subtle and the non and, and the less so subtle stuff. So is someone that would ordinarily be, you know, bubbly and joking and uh, wanting to uh, get involved in conversations suddenly off camera and not saying very much. Well, if they're saying that for, if that happens for say a day or one meeting, then fine. But if if over a few days you're seeing that change, you know, reach out. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about in the mental health space is it's important to talk when you don't feel well. And I know from experience that it sounds right and it does help a lot of people, but talking can be the last thing you want to do. So actually what we need to do as product managers and as people, as human beings, just to reach out and reaching out sounds grandiose, but it's just saying, how are you doing? You know, can I, can I grab you a virtual coffee? Can we just see how, how things are going? And I think we've lost a bit of that humanity because I think so many of our interactions now can feel quite robotic so none of this stuff is rocket science, but it's the sort of things that I think we're leaving behind a little bit in the need to to move faster, to do more, to do it, um, you know, cheaper, to find the next big big thing faster than someone else. We're forgetting the need, the, the the important stuff. We're working with other human beings here, so let's start by treating each other as human beings. And I guess that's um, exacerbated even more by, like you say, by remote working, you like everyone's in the same boat and you're all kind of uh, missing that being in the same physical space. Um, But then with hybrid working, there's an element of like when you're not 
together in the office with the other people who are in the office there's a bit of FOMO or whatever or you know being worried that you're missing out on conversations or stuff that's going on or maybe you can't go because you're all having to self-isolate or yeah there's just like so much complexity now in the workplace and in how we're all interacting I mean unless you're a luckily a business who has been doing it for years and you're kind of really used to it but I guess a lot of that changing in the way that we're working and adapting to this new mode there's a lot of kind of mental toll on uh on trying to figure out like how to navigate all of that as well yeah I think you know it hybrid working for so many is has probably had a lot of upside for someone like me as a parent with young children it's it's actually been really great that I can spend a bit more quality time at home and have them uh, jumping in on calls and all sorts of other mayhem but you know for many others it hasn't it's been very difficult uh, and it takes adjustment you know I think as product managers one of the things that that were drilled into us is that you know you are agents of change but that doesn't mean that that change is going to be easy and I think you know it's important to recognize when you are struggling with that change and sometimes you could just to go with that and just to go with that feeling of being a bit uncomfortable stepping out of the of the comfort zone and knowing that you know as any good product manager does hybrid working may start as an experiment gather the 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 insight use rapid feedback loops and make changes and i think the best empowered teams that i've worked with have a lot of open dialogue the best way that you can figure this stuff out in my view is to keep having those conversations whether it's with your teams your designers your your peers your leadership the best cultures to me foster that open dialogue to figure out how do we make hybrid working work you know not only for me as an individual but for us as a team and when you say open dialogue is that um just a kind of constant or like a an iterative reflection on how you're working as a team together on a frequent basis I think it's probably both of those things I I've kind of favored as we've moved to hybrid working slightly um more constant and frequent but maybe less intense conversations to get the feedback loop loop circling as fast as possible so yeah, one of the things that I've quite enjoyed is you know, say three times a week at the end of the day just having a 15 minute check-in and it's kind of optional but you tend to find that at the end of the day people like to come along and just decompress from the day share what's gone well share what what hasn't it's amazing some of the little nuggets that you pick up in those slightly more informal conversations because the last thing people want is more meetings in the diary but when it's at the end of the day maybe a cup of coffee or a beer on a Friday those informal conversations um, you know where you really start to form some of those social bonds are where I think the kind of best insight tends to come from. Mm. That's been one of the challenges I found is you're only in meetings that are scheduled now and which so there's very little serendipity, and I know we've all worked to to try and create it where we can, but yeah, there's just not that much of it. So, and then you spend all your time in meetings to have those conversations with people. How, how, <laughs> what do you think that's doing to people? Well, it's driving a lot of people uh, around the bend. I would have thought. I think I think <laughs> most people are in more meetings now than they ever were before, and I think again as as product managers, it can be tempting to feel as though we have to be in every meeting because we've got to understand the product, understand the context, talk to X, Y, and Z. I'm a bit more intentional with my diary and I, I block time out 
at certain parts of the day where I will not accept meetings. And I've, at first I was pretty worried about doing it because I thought, well, what happens if X, Y, and Z, you know, the big boss or someone in the senior team wants to talk to me? It's like, you know, unless, unless there's a fire, this time's for me. And this time's for me, whether it's for reflection, whether it's for going to exercise, whether it's for whatever that thing is, but it is meeting free time. And, you know, that sounds really simple, but in a lot of the conversations I have with product managers, they they don't feel empowered enough to be able to manage their own diary. And to mm. me, there's something very wrong with that in terms of the team culture, if we're not empowering people to take back control of their own time. And actually, that leads really nicely onto another sort of topic area that I would love to get your view on, which is how business leaders can kind of really create and honour that culture of taking care of mental health. I think there are a lot of business leaders out there who are aware that it's um, something that they need to be supportive of. But, you know, unless you've really kind of experienced uh, the levels of um, poor mental health that some people have, you don't really like fully understand or appreciate what people might be going through. Uh, and so I do feel like it can be a little bit like paying lip service to it just so that they look like a good business. Um, but is there a way for, you know, if there are people listening to this who are kind of team leaders or execs in a team, how can they sort of properly understand the situation and genuinely create that the right environment for people with who are struggling with mental health to thrive first of all let's hope that some of the some of those leaders are listening to, to this episode and that <laughs> this is resonating that, and that they get in touch with us and then we can talk about this topic even more which is what I'm passionate about doing yeah, but I think that the most obvious way I can describe why this is important is that happy people healthy people are productive and who doesn't want productive people that love their job and want to go over and above for the product that they're trying to build and the customers that they're that they're trying to build these these incredible experiences for i think a lot is said in the mental health space that we shouldn't talk about you know return on investment and i agree with that to a point but equally with my product manager hat i'm thinking well let's talk directly about the value that that, that this brings and if we have to talk in pounds and pence to get the buy-in that then helps people as human beings, and that's great. But the ultimate output that we're looking for here is happier, healthy, healthier people. And the way in which we get to that that path, in my mind, is kind of less important. But there's plenty of evidence about the organisations that invest in the mental health of their people see significant returns. And I mean that in terms of the financial returns, but also in terms of productivity, retention, recruitment, brand, you know, it. It helps all of those things, but at the fundamental level, you're just making people happier. And that has got to be a good thing. And for any of us that have worked in organisations that don't prioritise and honour cultures of, you know, being supportive about good good mental health, you know, I would, I would really challenge those people to reflect on, you know, how does it feel in that business? How long are people staying in that business? Do people want to join that business? Are people productive? You know, you've only got to start asking some of those questions and the answers, I think, will soon reveal themselves. And you also asked me, 
you know, how business leaders can really live and breathe the culture. You know, for me, it's not necessarily about a senior leader always opening up about their mental health, although I think that does help. But I think it's about giving permission. It's about creating psychological safety and it's about letting people express who they are, what they're about and what they believe in, you know, outside of just what they're there to do as a product manager. If we can bring our whole selves to work, it goes back to the point I just made. We're going to be happier. We're going to be, you know, we're going to have more energy that we're going to be bringing to that organisation. We're going to be much more motivated. It's just win, 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 whether it's for the team, the individual or the organisation, in my opinion. So the the place I'm working now has a, a mental health first aid, or actually a couple of them. I'm curious if you've seen this in other places, and just generally, what else are good characteristics of a, a good or supportive workplace? What kind of things can we put in place aside from trying to create a culture at the top? What are the, the some of the other uh, actionable things we can do? Great question. So I'm I'm actually a mental health first aid as well, Randy. I'm not sure if you knew that or if it's just no. a strange coincidence, but. <laughs> Um, so yeah, mental health first aid is, is is one of many you know actionable steps that organisations can take. It's not for every organisation, but the the principle behind the mental health first aid, I suppose, is that we have physical um, first aiders that can take care of uh, colleagues if they hurt themselves physically. It's the same kind of principle. It's someone that has had specific training. It's not medical training, but it's training that allows somebody to you know listen to you in confidence non-judgmentally and then to signpost you if that's the most important part of having a conversation about mental health is to remove your own perspectives and opinions to listen on uh, judgmentally and to help that person towards the next step you know whether that's signposting them to a charity to the doctor to a counsellor you know, larger organisations um, have things like employee assistance programs. So I've worked in organisations where you have access 24-7 to trained counsellors and trained individuals that 24-7 you, know, you can talk to and you can talk to about things in the workplace that might be affecting your mental health. And again, they can provide support. They can provide you with, uh, with content, with signposting, with those kinds of things. But it doesn't need big grandiose actions, you know. It can, it can be arranging tea and talk. I've arranged, I've arranged tea and, tea and talk before, and it's literally an hour in the diary, unfortunately, or thirty-five minutes. But you rock up with a cup of tea and a biscuit, and you have a chat, and it is the best half an hour that you'll spend in your day. Honestly, it's just a brilliant way to just be a bit more human, as I've as I've kind of already said. And obviously, organisations can be thinking about. Uh, benefits that can help not just the the mental aspect of well-being but the physical you know can you offer an hour to go out and run around the park can you offer a subsidized gym membership for example then you've also got financial well-being which is one often that isn't considered and i think talking about money has got more of a stigma attached to it than talking about how we're feeling if i'm honest and I think there are organisations that are starting to work out that maybe we need to do a little bit more to help people better manage their money. Um, so when those three things come together, that can be a really powerful kind of holistic wellbeing offering. And this is often a really, speaking of money, because I've spent most of mine, um, <laughs> this is often a really tricky time of year, um, you know, for, uh, for, for stress. Um, and anxiety what is it about this time of year um, that kind of brings that on more than than the rest of the year and 
you know, is there anything that we should be looking out for as individuals, you know, within ourselves and with our teams? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier on, but, you know, everyone's circumstances are, are different. But I think that still within society, we can all feel pressure to conform. And I think Christmas is one of those times when there are certain cultural norms that are quite hard to break, you know, the cultural norms of having the Christmas party, COVID secure this year, I'm guessing, um, of overextending ourselves to provide the Christmas we want to provide for the family and for the children, you know, for um, getting ourselves into a great place so that on New Year's Day, we can have 10 New Year's resolutions that are going to, you know, transform us into the next Joe Wicks or, you know, the next Barack Obama or the next great statesman. And I think you know, all of these things can can make us feel a bit inadequate, frankly. And I think it's first important to recognise that we're all on our own journey. And I very much try to live my life like a racehorse might. I try to live it quite blinkered. And that's not to say I'm not, uh, you know, looking around me at, at appropriate points to seek feedback. But I think if we if we take in too much stimulus, sometimes we can lose our way a little bit. If we talked about the, the financial side. We should try to live within our means. You know, the only reason that we're going out and spending all this money, I suppose, is a little bit due to people like us, if we're honest, because if we're building great, if we're building great <laughs> products, then maybe we're part, part of the problem rather than the uh, solution. But... No, I want you to buy my stuff all year long, not just at Christmas. <laughs> oh, there we go. See, you're an angel. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, there, there is a little bit about just trying to focus on ourselves, what's important to us and trying to reduce some of those societal pressures. I think in terms of what we need to do to keep an eye on people, you know, we never know whether someone might have lost a loved one at Christmas, whether they're spending Christmas alone. So it, it, it goes back a little bit to what I said earlier. If we could try and just be a bit more human and actually get to know our colleagues as individuals and we can start to a recognise if things are changing that, look out of the ordinary or we can actually just have a conversation as a decent human being and understand that maybe this is a difficult time of year for them and we can give them a wider berth or we can be a bit more compassionate or we can go out and buy them that beer because we know that you know over Christmas it might be a little bit of a tougher time for them than it than it might be for ourselves. Nick we've really really running out of time but this has been a really great conversation. I just have one more question for you um you hinted at something earlier and I just need to find out more about the story <laughs> so uh, you have the uh nickname of the fancy dress dad so what's that all about <laughs> so in lockdown you know obviously it's pretty obvious that I mean I was in tune with what was going on in the mental health space in my own workplace and with myself I was juggling homeschool with work like many and Joe Wicks saved the day and like a knight in shining armour and uh, he gave me and my family a lot of structure frankly and something to you know do together and one Friday he wore fancy dress to one of his workouts and I did that workout in fancy dress and then I was curious what me taking fancy dress into the workplace might do so I wore a costume onto um, all my video calls that day and the reaction from colleagues was just a little bit of surprise a little bit of what the actual heck is this guy doing but just loads of laughter and loads of smiling and loads of conversations that I didn't expect about mental health and about what I was doing and why I was doing it and that one costume uh, ended with me wearing a hundred different costumes across hundreds of video calls throughout the year 
I raised £10,000 for a number of mental health charities and my story ended up going national. Um, and the fancy dress that moniker was given to me by Just Giving. Um, they were sort of supporting the initiative and I was interviewed uh, live twice in the space of six months on BBC Breakfast, which I still have to sort of pinch myself for. Um, and I then started to take all of these costumes onto the school run. So I was rocking up, dropping my kids to school and doing the school run, seeing all the teachers and the pupils dressed as Mr. Blobby and Batman and Hulk Hogan and all sorts of other weird and wonderful characters. So um, that name will forever stick with me now. And I've got about 40 of the costumes up in my loft. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Before we let you go, though, we do have to provide a bit of translation for anybody who doesn't speak <laughs> British English. If you speak American English, fancy dress is a costume. It's not dressing up in a top hat and tails or anything like that. It is, as you said, it's Hulk Hogan and Batman and, and everything else. And uh, and I hope your kids were young enough to be impressed by it rather than embarrassed. <laughs> You would think so at eight and five, but my daughter still cringed every day. In the end, I think she just accepted that I said to her, until I've worn costume number 100, this is happening. So you're going to have to just accept it. Oh, bless her. Okay, so so oh, I, I do have to follow up with the, the question of, we're recording this in December. What did you do for Halloween? Halloween, what was I? I think I wore a skeleton onesie. It was it was a pretty hot, hot one that day, if I'm honest, sitting there all day in that. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really great chatting to you today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So I feel like I need to explain one thing for everybody who's not from the UK, and that is exactly who Joe Wicks is. Do you want to give it a try, Lily? Yeah, so he was a phenomena. I think that's what you would call him. Uh, when everyone was in lockdown and uh, he was getting everyone up off their sofas and jumping around doing exercises in the morning. I'm pretty sure he had a YouTube channel. Um, I actually didn't get involved. I was too busy doing other things. <laughs> like <laughs> We tried it a couple of times in our house, but you know, if you're an American of a certain age, like I am, you probably grew up with Richard Simmons. Just picture him, but not quite so camp and with shorts that weren't quite as tight. <laughs> um, but what a great episode and uh, a good way to nearly end the year. We've got a couple more episodes to go. So tune in for the rest of December and see what else we've got coming up. And if you're really interested in any of the stuff we talked about today, there's a bunch of links in the show notes about uh, mental health, first aid and things like that. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith and me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups, 
Driven by and for product people, we offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share grinnings and tips. Mm-hmm.